Chapter 8 of The Red Room by August Strindberg Translated by Ellie Schlesner Recording by William Peck This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 8 Poor Mother Country The clock on the Ritterholm's church struck ten as Falk arrived, a few days later, at the parliamentary buildings to assist the representative of the Red Cap in reporting the proceedings of the Second Chamber. He hastened his footsteps, convinced that here, where the pay was good, strict punctuality would be looked upon as a matter of course. He climbed the committee stairs and was shown to the reporter's gallery on the left. A feeling of awe overcame him as he walked across the few boards, hung up under the roof like a pigeon-house, where the men of free speech listened to the discussion of the country's most sacred interest by the country's most worthy representatives. It was a new sensation to Falk, but he was far from being impressed as he looked down from his scaffolding into the empty hall which resembled a Lancastrian school. It was five minutes past ten, but with the exception of himself not a soul was present. All of a sudden the silence was broken by a scraping noise. A rat, he thought, but almost immediately he discovered, on the opposite gallery, across the huge, empty hall, a short, abject figure sharpening a pencil on the rail. He watched the chips fluttering down and settling on the tables below. His eyes scanned the empty walls without finding a resting place, until finally they fell on the old clock, dating from the time of Napoleon I, with its imperial, newly lit emblems, symbolical of the old story, and its hands, now pointing to ten minutes past ten, symbolical in the spirit of irony, of something else. At the moment, the doors in the background opened, and a man entered. He was old. His shoulders stooped under the burden of public offices. His back had shrunk under the weight of communal commissions, the long continuance in damp offices. Committee rooms and safe deposits had warped his neck. There was a suggestion of the pensioner in his calm footsteps as he walked up the coconut matting towards the chair. When he had reached the middle of the long passage and had come into line with the imperial clock, he stopped. He seemed accustomed to stopping halfway and looking round and backwards, but now he stopped to compare his watch with the clock. He shook his old, worn-out head with a look of discontent. Fast, fast, he murmured. His features expressed a supernatural calm and the assurance that his watch could not be slow. He continued his way with the same deliberate footsteps. He might be walking towards the goal of his life, and it was very much a question whether he had not attained it when he arrived at the venerable chair on the platform. When he was standing close by it, he pulled out his handkerchief and blew his nose. His eyes roamed over the brilliant audience of chairs and tables, announcing an important event. Gentlemen, I have blown my nose. Then he sat down and sank into a presidential calm which might have been sleep, if it had not been waking, and alone in the large room, as he imagined, alone with his God. He prepared to summon strength for the business of the day, when a loud scraping on the left, high up, underneath the roof, pierced the stillness. He started and turned his head to kill, with a three-quarter look, the rat which dared to gnaw in his presence. Falk, who had omitted to take into account the resonant capacity of the pigeon-house, received the deadly thrust of the murderous glance. But the glance softened as it slid down the ease moldings, whispering, Only a reporter. I was afraid it might be a rat. 
and deep regret stole over the murderer contrition at the sin committed by his eye he buried his face in his hands and wept oh no he rubbed off the spot which the appearance of a repulsive object had thrown on his retina presently the doors were flung wide open the delegates were beginning to arrive while the hands on the clock crept forward the president rewarded the good with friendly nods and pressures of the hand and punished the evil-doers by turning away his head he was bound to be just as the most high the reporter of the red cap arrived an unprepossessing individual not quite sober and only half awake in spite of this he seemed to find pleasure in answering truthfully the questions put by the newcomer once more the doors were flung open and in stalked a man with as much self-assurance as if he were in his own home he was the treasurer of the inland revenue office and actuary of the board of payment of employees salaries he approached the chair greeted the president like an old acquaintance and began to rummage in the papers as if they were his own who's this asked falk the chief clerk answered his friend from the red cap what do they write here too then too you'll soon see they keep a story full of clerks the attics are full of clerks and they'll soon have clerks in the cellars the room below was now presenting the aspect of an ant heap a rap of the hammer and there was silence the head clerk read the minutes of the last meeting and they were signed without comment then the same man read a petition for a fortnight's leave sent in by john johnson from lurback it was granted do they have holidays here asked the novice surprised certainly john johnson wants to go home and plant his potatoes the platform down below was now beginning to fill with young men armed with pen and paper all of them were old acquaintances from the time when falk was a government official they took their seats at little tables as if they were going to play preference those are the clerks explained the red cap they appear to recognize you and they really did and they put on their eyeglasses and stared at the pigeon house with the condescension vouchsafed in a theatre by the occupants of the stalls to the occupants of the galleries they whispered among themselves evidently discussing an absent acquaintance who from unmistakable evidence must have been sitting on the chair occupied by falk the latter was so deeply touched by the general interest that he looked with anything but a friendly eye on struve who was entering the pigeon house reserved unembarrassed dirty and a conservative the chief clerk read a petition or a resolution to grant the necessary money for the provision of the new doormats and new brass numbers on the lockers destined for the reception of overshoes granted where is the opposition asked the tyro devil knows but they say yes to everything wait a little and you'll see haven't they come yet here everyone comes and goes as he pleases but this is the government offices all over again the conservative struve who had heard the frivolous words thought it incumbent upon him to take up the cudgels for the government what is this little faucus saying he asked mustn't growl here it took falk so long to find a suitable reply that the discussions down below had started in the meantime don't mind him said the red cap soothingly he's invariably a conservative when he has the price of a dinner in his pocket and he's just borrowed a fiver from me the chief clerk was reading fifty four report of the committee on ola hipson's motion to remove defences timber merchant larson from norland demanded acceptance as it stood 
what is to become of our forest he burst out i ask you what is to become of our forest and he threw himself on his bench puffing this racy eloquence had gone out of fashion during the last few years and the words were received with hisses after which the puffing on the norland bench ceased the representative of oland suggested sandstone walls scania's delegate preferred box norbotten's opined that fences were unnecessary where there were no fields and a member on the stockholm bench proposed that the matter should be referred to a committee of experts he laid stress on experts a violent scene followed death rather than a committee the question was put to the vote the motion was rejected the fences would remain standing until they decayed the chief clerk was reading sixty six reported the committee on Carl Janssen's proposition to intercept the monies for the Bible Commission. At the sound of the venerable name of an institution a hundred years old, even the smiles died away and a respectful silence ensued. Who would dare to attack religion in its very foundation? Who would dare to face universal contempt? The Bishop of Ystad asked permission to speak. Shall I write? asked Falk. No, what he says doesn't concern us. But the conservative Struve took down the following notes sacred mother country united names religion humanity eight twenty nine sixteen thirty two unbelief mania for innovations god's word man's word senton ansgar zeal honesty fair play capac doctrine exist swede church immemorial swede honor gustavs first gustavs adolphus Hill Lutzen, Eyes Europe, Verdict Posterity, Mourning, Shame, Green Fields, Wash My Hands, They Would Not Hear, Carl Janssen Held the Floor. Now it's our turn, said the Red Cap, and they wrote while Struve embroidered the bishop's velvet. Twaddle, Big Words, Commission, Sat for a Hundred Years, Cost One Hundred Thousand Crowns, Nine Archbishops, Thirty Professors, Uppsala, together five hundred years, dietaries, secretaries, done nothing, proof sheet, bad work, money, 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 everything by its right name, humbug, official sucking system. No one else spoke up, but when the question was put to the vote, the motion was accepted, while the bread cap, with practice hands, smoothed Janssen's stumbling speech and provided it with a strong title. Falk took a rest accidentally scanning the stranger's gallery his gaze fell on a well-known head resting on the rail and belonging to ali montanus at the moment he had the appearance of a dog carefully watching a bone and he was not there without a very definite reason but falk was in the dark ali was very secretive from the end of the bench just below the right gallery on the very spot where the abject individual's pencil ships had fluttered down a man now arose he wore a blue uniform, had a three-cornered hat tucked under his arm, and held a roll of paper in his hand. The hammer fell, and an ironical, malicious silence followed. Right, said the red cap. Take down the figures. I'll do the rest. Who is it? These are royal propositions. The man in blue was reading from the paper roll. H.M. Most Gracious Proposition to Increase the Funds of the Department Assisting Young Men of Birth in the Study of Foreign Languages 
under the heading of stationery and sundry expenses from fifty crowns to fifty-six crowns, thirty-seven or. What are sundry expenses? asked Falk. Water bottles, umbrella stands, spittoons, Venetian blinds, dinners, tips, and so on. Be quiet, there's no more to come. The paper roll went on. H.M. Most gracious proposition to create sixty new commissions in the West Gothic Calvary. Did he say sixty? asked Falk, who was unfamiliar with public affairs. Sixty, yes, write it down. The paper roll opened out, and it grew bigger and bigger. H.M. Most gracious proposition to create five new regular clerkships in the Board of Payment of Employees' Salaries. Great excitement at the preference tables, great excitement on Falk's chair. Now the paper rolled itself up. The chairman rose and thanked the reader with a bow which plainly said, Is there something else we can do? The owner of the paper roll sat down on the bench and blew away the chips the man above him had allowed to fall down. His stiff, embroidered collar prevented him from committing the same offense which the president had perpetrated earlier in the morning. The proceedings continued. The peasant, Sven Svensson, asked for permission to say a few words on the poor law. With one accord all the reporters arose, yawned, and stretched themselves. "'We'll go to lunch now,' explained the red cap. "'We have an hour and ten minutes.' But the Sven Svensson was speaking. The delegates began to get up from their places. Two or three of them went out. The president spoke to some of the good members, and by doing so expressed in the name of the government his disapproval of all Sven Svensson might be going to say. Two older members pointed him out to a newcomer, as if he were a strange beast. They watched him for a few moments, found him ridiculous, and turned their backs on him. The red cap was under the impression that politeness required him to explain that the speaker was the scourge of the chamber. He was neither hot nor cold, could be used by no party, be won for no interest, but he spoke. What he spoke about no one could tell, for no paper reported him, and nobody took the trouble to look up the records. But the clerks at the tables had sworn that if they ever came into power, they would amend the laws for his sake. Falk, however, who had a certain weakness for all those who were overlooked, remained behind and heard what he had not heard for many a day. A man of honor, who lived an irreproachable life, espousing the cause of the oppressed and the downtrodden, while nobody listened to him. Struve, at the sight of the peasant, had taken his own departure, and had gone to a restaurant, he was quickly followed by all the reporters and half the deputies. After luncheon they returned and sat down on the narrow stairs. For a little longer they heard Sven Svensson speaking, or rather saw him speaking, for now the conversation had become so lively that not a single word of the speech could be understood. But the speaker was bound to come to an end. Nobody had any objections to make. His speech had no result whatsoever. It was exactly as if it had never been made. The chief clerk, who during this interval had had time to go to his offices, looked at the official papers and poke his fires, was again in his place reading, 72, Memorial of the Royal Commission, on Per Ilsen's motion to grant 10,000 crowns for the restoration of the old sculptures in the church of Trascola. The dog's head on the rail of the stranger's gallery assumed a threatening aspect. He looked as if he were going to fight for his bone. "'Do you know the freak up there in the gallery?' asked the red cap. "'Ollie, Montanus. Yes, I know him. Do you know that he and the church at Trascola are countrymen?' "'He's a shrewd fellow. 
Look at the expression on his face now, that Trascola's turn has come. Per Ilsen was speaking. Struve, contemptuously, turned his back on the speaker and cut himself a piece of tobacco. But Falk and the red cap trimmed their pencils for action. "'You take the flourishes, I'll take the facts,' said the red cap. After the lapse of a quarter of an hour, Falk's paper was covered with the following notes. Native culture, social interest, charge of materialism, accord, fichte material, native culture, not matter, ergo charge rejected, venerable temple, in the radiance morning, sun pointing heavenwards, from Heath, times philos, never dreamt, sacred rites, nation, sacred, native cult, literature, academy, history, antiquity. The speech, which had repeatedly called forth universal amusement, especially at the exhumation of the deceased Fichte, provoked replies from the Metropolitan Bench and the Bench of Uppsala. The delegate on the Metropolitan Bench said that although he knew neither of the Church of Trescola nor Fichte, and doubted whether the old plaster boys were worth ten thousand crowns, yet he thought himself justified in urging the chamber to encourage this beautiful undertaking as it was the first time the majority had asked for money for a purpose other than the building of bridges, fences, national schools, etc. The delegate on the bench of Uppsala held, according to Struz's notes, that the mover of the proposition was a priori right, that his premise that native culture should be encouraged was correct, that the conclusion that ten thousand crowns should be voted was binding, that the purpose, the aim, the tendency, was beautiful, praiseworthy, patriotic, but an error had certainly been committed. By whom? By the mother country? The state? The church? No. By the proponent? The proponent was right, according to common sense, and therefore the speaker, he begged the chamber to pardon the repetition, could only praise the purpose, the aim, the tendency. The proposition had its warmest sympathies. He was calling on the chamber in the name of the mother country, in the name of art and civilization, to vote for it. But he himself felt bound to vote against it, because he was of the opinion that, conformable to the idea, it was erroneous, motiveless, and figurative, as it subsumed the conception of the place under that of the state. The head in the stranger's gallery rolled its eyes and moved its lips convulsively while the motion was put to a vote. But when the proceeding was over and the proposition had been accepted, the head disappeared in a discontented and jostling audience. Falk did not fail to understand the connection between Per Ilsen's proposition and Ollie's presence and disappearance. Struve, who had become even more loud and conservative after lunch, talked unreservedly of many things. The red cap was calm and indifferent. He had ceased to be astonished at anything. From the dark cloud of humanity which had been rent by Ollie's exit, suddenly broke a face, clear, bright, and radiant as the sun, and Arvid Falk, whose glances had strayed to the gallery, felt compelled to cast down his eyes and turn away his head. He had recognized his brother, the head of the family, the pride of the name, which he intended to make great and honorable. Behind Nicholas Falk's shoulder half of a black face could be seen, gentle and deceitful, which seemed to whisper secrets into the ear of the fair man. Falk had only time to be surprised at his brother's presence. He knew his resentment at the new form of administration, 
for the president had given anders anderson permission to state a proposition anderson availed himself of the permission with the greatest calm in view of certain events he read moved that a bill should be passed making his majesty jointly and severably liable for all joint stock companies whose statutes he has sanctioned the sun on the stranger's gallery lost its brilliancy and a storm burst out in the chamber like a flash count splint was on his legs quasque tandem catalina it has come to that members are forgetting themselves so far as to dare to criticize government yes gentlemen criticize government or what is even worse make a joke of it for this motion cannot be anything but a vulgar joke did i say joke it is treason oh my poor country your unworthy sons have forgotten the debt they owe you but what else can we expect now that you have lost your knightly guard your shield and your arms i request the blackguard per anderson or whatever his name may be to withdraw his motion or by god he shall see that king and country still have loyal servants able to pick up a stone and fling it at the head of the many-headed hydra of treason applause from the stranger's gallery indignation in the chamber ha do you think i'm afraid the speaker made a gesture as if he were throwing a stone but on every one of the hydra's hundred faces lay a smile glaring round in search of a hydra which did not smile the speaker discovered it in the reporter's gallery there there he pointed to the pigeon-house and in his eyes lay an expression as if he saw all hell open that's the crow's nest i hear their croaking but it doesn't frighten me arise men of sweden cut off the tree saw through the boards pull down the beams kick the chairs to pieces break the desk in the fragments small as my little finger he held it up and then burn the blackguards until nothing of them is left then the kingdom will flourish in peace and its institutions will thrive thus speaks the swedish nobleman peasants remember his words this speech which three years ago would have been welcomed with acclamations taken down verbatim and printed and circulated in national schools and other charitable institutions was received with universal laughter an amended version was placed on the record and strange to say it was only reported by the opposition papers which do not as a rule care to publish outbursts of this description the upsala bench again craved permission to speak the speaker quite agreed with the last speaker his acute ear had caught something of the old rattling of swords he would like to say a few words he would like to speak of the idea of a joint stock company as an idea but begged to be allowed to explain to the chamber that a joint stock company was not an accumulation of funds not a combination of people but a moral personality and as such not responsible shouts of laughter and loud conversation prevented the reporters from hearing the remainder of the argument which closed with the remark that the interests of the country were at stake conformable to the idea and that if the motion were rejected the interests of the country would be neglected and the state in danger six speakers filled up the interval until dinner-time by giving extracts from the official statistics of sweden nauman's fundamental statues the legal textbook and the gutberg commercial gazette the conclusion invariably arrived at was that the country was in danger if his majesty were to be jointly and severally liable for all joint stock companies the statues of which he had sanctioned and that the interests of the whole country were at stake one of the speakers was bold enough to say that the interests of the country stood on a throw of the dice 
others were the opinion that they stood on a card, others again that they hung on a thread. The last speaker said they hung on a hair. At noon the proposition to go into committee on the motion was rejected. That was to say, there was no need for the country to go through the committee mill, the office sieve, the imperial shaft-cutter, the club winnower, and the newspaper hubbub. The country was saved. Poor country. End of chapter 8